Hello and welcome to Convergently Speaking. Today's episode is all about understanding and supporting our nervous systems. Hi there, this is Caitlin, just with a quick intro. We are back after a few weeks break, and today we're really excited to bring to you a great chat that we had with Lena, who is a nervous system coach. As she'll share, she has been through her own journey of healing and learning to understand and regulate her own nervous system, and she is now bringing that to other people as well as a coach. Dan and I both really enjoyed talking to her and learned a lot in the process. So now we'll hand it over to Lena. This is Dan. And I'm Caitlin. And today we have on the show with us Lena, whom I met, we're trying to work it out, it's about five years ago when I attended the Profiler Training live event in LA to finish my personality certification process. And Lena and I actually were in a share house together along with a few others and we got to know each other then. And I'm extremely excited to hear some more of her journey because we haven't caught up for a while that she's been on learning about firstly, I think her nervous system and then (laughs) nervous systems in general and how we can work with our nervous system to live a a more happy and fulfilling life, I suppose. I don't want to put words in her mouth. I'm really interested to hear her wisdom on this and specifically thinking about how our nervous system and our capacity to regulate our nervous system and our emotions impacts on our friendships, professional relationships, and of course, intimate relationships. So to kick us off, Lena, would you give us a little background on who you are where you're from, and what led you to the point that you're now at in your in your life? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really excited to have this conversation with you guys. So I'm from Norway. I've lived in New Zealand for 10 years. And somewhere along the way, I, I understood or I thought that there is something strange with me. There is something wrong with how I operate. And it wasn't until I had a massive burnout in my first job after university, classic setup. I was completely overcompensating. I felt like a total imposter in my job. I would say yes to way too many things. And I had this underlying sense that there is something wrong with me. And in addition to that, I had some relationship turbulence, which you guys know that can just switch on so much stress in your system. And so my nervous system kind of broke <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. I had almost total insomnia. I couldn't rest. I had no sense of feeling calm and present. I developed some anxiety for just even just leaving the house, which I'd never experienced before. And I had depressive mood spells and just everything in my body was just going all topsy-turvy. It was, it was a mess. And I understood that there was a acute and serious situation. So I quit my job and I thought three months In three months, (laughs) I'll go back to work. And so I'll just need to sort this shit out. And in that period, I learned about what trauma does to the body, how the body stores past events or experiences. And I learned that I was afraid of my body, afraid of feeling my body. And I was like, oh man, (laughs) this is is really bad. Um, And that really set me off on a journey to learn about nervous systems and my own nervous system and to set completely new boundaries for myself, completely new thought systems, completely new behaviors, and really change fundamentally how I operated as a person. That's a kind of continuing journey that 
we're all on. And along the way, I've learned a lot of tricks and tips <laughs> that works well for many different kinds of nervous systems. But the most important part that I've learned is we have to be in connection with ourselves. We have to find the thing that works for us and not the way the experts tell us we're supposed to do it or follow a specific you know, meditation regime or whatever it might be. It's really about finding back to ourselves and our own steering rod. So that's, that's what I now offer to other people. Tricks and tips and helping people really stay on course with you're okay and you have to do this your way. So that's kind of my evolving work and my offer around this. Thanks for that. And how long ago was this period that you're talking about? And, and obviously it took you longer than three months. Tell us a little <laughs> more about that piece of it. Yeah, that was a bit over seven years ago that happened. And after the three months had passed, I was like, okay, another three months. <laughs> and ultimately I didn't fully pick back up the kind of work I was doing before. And I still haven't had much interest in doing that, which was kind of social change, organizational change social entrepreneurship, that kind of stuff. It's really been an evolving journey that for a long time was really focused on kind of like classic INFP problems. <laughs> like, what is my purpose? I must find my purpose. <laughs> I must find my people, my purpose. And that was a, not a derailment because I don't, I don't know if I believe that there are true derailments in life. We end up usually with what we need to learn and do, but that that didn't solve my problem. That's really fascinating and it, and it mirrors a lot of my own story because I had a, and I'm not going to get into it all now because this is not the, the topic, but, but it was probably seven or eight years ago myself that I had a, well, just a very yeah. similar experience to what you described. I don't need to explain it because it, I could almost use the same words that you did. And I suppose I'm interested to ask you sort of from your own experience, but but also your bigger perspective, you know, your sort of 10,000 foot view. Why are people such as ourselves having these experiences when we're, when we're quite young still? You know, we, we tend to attribute the idea of burnout with someone who's, older and has been working you know for not, not years but decades and then it kind of catches up with them so I'm really interested to hear from your perspective why why this is happening because this is a you know it's a story we hear fairly regularly that's such a great question I'm sure the two of you have also discussed among yourself <laughs> as you've seen yourself and other people go through this yeah I mean my my background before this crash was sociology and the social sciences. And so that's helped me look at things from a structural perspective. I see our generation having, our generation being the kind of millennials and younger, having incredible pressure to both do what they love, find their thing, and get their education and then oh wait there's no easy path forward <laughs> there are so many choices and you've got to be completely self-made i think this is one piece we're just working so hard young people are working really 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 hard to get through their education or carve their own path if it's not through higher education and find their way through work environments and jobs that really were not designed with millennials in mind <laughs> and a long commutes, really long work days. And these things are just not really set up for anyone to fully thrive. That's a factor, but I think there are many layers and this millennial and younger generations are much better at finding their bodies, <laughs> realizing something's wrong, stopping and saying, 
no, 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 no. I am not participating in this. This is this is not working. And bringing that to the surface. And I, I just wonder how much of what we see is, you know, prominent problems today. How much of that existed? I know that it's more prominent. I know there's more anxiety, more depression, lots more anxiety. But also how much of that was just masked in the past by you can't talk about those things. You just have to do the proper thing. You just have to do the go to work thing or have your kid and send them to kindy and go to work and, you know, all that stuff. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's complex. Yeah. And I think there's also a legacy. So a legacy of those other generations that have masked, have refused to deal with or not had the tools you know, not had the the knowledge, not had an internet that they could go researching on to deal with these underlying issues, which then end up coming out in anxieties and and fears and depression and and even physical health. So, yeah, I, I take your I take your point, and and I like hearing that that positive spin on the millennial generation being more open and prepared to connect with their bodies, not saying they necessarily know how to do that because they didn't necessarily, we didn't necessarily get taught that. And I would say that bears out in the clients that I work with. If I have someone in their 60s come versus 50s versus 40s versus 30s and especially versus 20s, there's a percentage increase in their willingness to engage in the process, their willingness to put their ego down, their willingness to go inside, go into their inner world to do the work that needs to happen. There are exceptions, but generally if I have people in their 20s come, I feel a bit of optimism because I know that the chance of them being more open and ready and prepared to to listen, to engage is, is high. So in our age group, we are more aware of sort of our mind-body connection. And, and again, that's also kind of new information that science is understanding. So could you just explain a little bit how the nervous system affects everything? I think people are probably, if, if they've gone into this a little bit, they might be more aware of like the emotional side of things. Their emotional intelligence might be quite high, but I think the level of the nervous system and understanding how, how much that affects everything and how integrated that is into our whole experience is probably not so understood. So yeah, could you just um, give us an overview of, of how the nervous system is affecting our body and our experience and, and how we interact with other people too? Yeah, it's exactly what you said. The nervous system affects everything. The nervous system is a core part of our development as a animal to survive, to find food, and to also to digest food, a lot of the nervous system is actually about food, but it's also about social engagement, our ability to connect with other people because we need food and we need cooperation, we need connection. I hope that people, most people have a sense that their nervous system impacts on their presence and emotions. It very much does. It also impacts on your behaviors. It also impacts on your thoughts. And your thoughts impact your nervous system. One factoid that I like to share with people is that we know that the brain is like the control center in our body. And so the brain, you know, obviously connects with the nervous system. The nervous system has these two main parts. And so we have this sympathetic part of our nervous system which is the kind of activation fight or flight it you know leads us out of danger we all know about this part of our nervous system but we also have a part of our nervous system that is guided we can say mostly by the 10th cranial nerve which is also called the vagus nerve which uh, vagus stands for wandering it's a wandering nerve it goes from the back of your neck, down the sides of your neck, through your chest, down through your diaphragm, into your stomach, and it branches out. 
And this part of the nervous system has really two parts. And this is a new knowledge that has been brought into science and how we think about nervous systems. Really the last 20 years, but it's been it's been a slow uptake. So five, 10 years is becoming common knowledge. We call it the polyvagal theory. And this shows us that there are actually these two parts of this vagus nerve, this second branch of the nervous system. One we call the social engagement system. And this part, it tunes our ears to hear pleasant sounds as pleasant. <laughs> That's what makes it sound, oh, that person is speaking nicely to me. That soothes my nervous system. And it also connects with our eyes. It connects with all of, you know, all of our senses and also especially our gut. And if that part is not working well, we struggle to connect. Our face is kind of more deadpan. We struggle to connect with our emotions. We struggle to hear sounds in the way that we would hear them <laughs> if we were well attuned. And this blocks us from connection. Hmm. And then and then there's the other part, which we can call immobilization or the freeze response, which is the kind of, if you can't run away, you can't fight someone, just like play dead. This is that kind of overwhelm. Like if you're a complete overwhelm, like you have no idea, you're totally just frozen in your tracks. But it also is the part that, feels really nice to us if we snuggle up in bed and we don't want to leave or we're in meditation and we shut off the outside world. All of these parts or depression. We don't often talk about depression as a nervous system disorder. We talk about it as a mood disorder, but every emotion that you feel has a pattern in the nervous system. So you can change that emotion if you want to by using chemicals. You could change it by changing your thoughts. You can change how your body is positioned in space, how it's moving, how it's feeling, how supple it is, and it sends information through your nervous system up to your brain, how you're feeling. So there are lots of ways to work with the nervous system in ways that in the past we just didn't think about because we didn't have this more expanded map of like, What's the nervous system? How does it affect us? So yeah, it affects everything. And the health of the nervous system, of course, affects our health. Mm. Immune health, digestion, hormones, it affects your ability to concentrate and focus. It, it affects completely all of your health. That's such a good overview. And I, I knew some of that and didn't know a lot of it and haven't put it all together. That's... um brilliant one thing that made me think of I didn't really know about the social engagement side of the vagus nerve specifically I've been doing a course that is sort of nervous system based also and somatic and through that it was a big revelation to me how much our nervous systems affect each other I suppose all of those things you were talking about and so we get so many signals that we're not even aware of from other people I try to do this with the kids you know if everyone's well, usually it starts with me being dysregulated and then, you know, it can affect everybody else and then I realize that's what's going on. But if, you know, if I'm starting from a more grounded and, and centered place, it really, it, sometimes that's all you have to do and it can, can affect everyone around you, which is, yeah, has been really powerful. And I think for me a little bit confronting because I, I sometimes think I can mask my feelings or frustration and it nobody will know but realizing that how much those underlying currents you just can't just can't get away from them that's really amazing and I suppose does that also that social engagement piece so we all know about fight and flight freeze but then there's the fawn response as well isn't there that's sort of a bit more of a new framing isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It, it used to be that we talked about fight flight and then we introduced freeze. And sometimes we talk about the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So the fawn response, which is that last F in the four Fs, is a pattern in our nervous system that uses all three of the branches of the nervous system. It is an activation we're wanting to do something. We're not feeling totally collapsed and helpless. We're wanting to do something. 
we are in social engagement because really the fun response, you know, the people pleasing, you could say, I want to solve this problem. I'm afraid. I'm triggered. I feel afraid, whether I know it or not. And I want to solve this problem by using my emotions <laughs> in some way. So the social engagement system needs to be on. And also there can be a kind of mix of a little bit of a freeze in there as well, because we feel helpless. We'll feel back into a corner. And this is the only way out. We must people please in order to avoid rage, in order to avoid discomfort, weirdness from another person. And sometimes, you know, you know, the fun response, we all use it probably <laughs> to one extent or another. But we can also see it very much at play for a lot of people that are in explicitly abusive relationships. And you can think about that in, you know, in the domestic sense, but also in a macro sense, right? And so if we go to the tax office <laughs> to do our taxes in the United States, for example, where these things are set up in a way that's perhaps more fear-inducing than some other places. We go there and we immediately <laughs> go into a fear reaction, right? Mm -hmm. And who are we in relationship with? It's not really the person behind the counter answering our questions. It's, it's really the system. I've noticed it when we're in like a hospital setting. So like when I've had babies in the hospital and... And one of them, he was in the NICU for a little while. So it was like an ongoing thing that I just get super friendly, super mm -hmm. like not in my actual emotions. I get like over the top happy. And mm -hmm. I've realized that, yeah, it's this, the doctors and the hospital system has all the power. Mm -hmm. And so that's my go-to is like, just make them really like me. Not, mm -hmm. I won't push back, which is hard to then advocate if you do want to push back. Well, always laugh. I had a an incident for myself I was in in an ambulance and I cut my foot and when we got out of the ambulance both of the ladies who were the paramedics said oh it was so nice to meet you <laughs> it was confronting because I was like I'm here charming them they're supposed to be helping me but yeah it was totally totally that that fond response <laughs> yeah that is a really great really great example yeah and when we're in that response we also notice automatically our body will shift our voice will get very pleasant, maybe more sing-songy and maybe soothing to another person. Whereas like if you're in a fight or flight, your body might be very rigid. But if you're in a fond response, maybe it's like very like open. It's like, you know, like two dogs meet in the park and then, you know, one rolls over. Yeah, it's a whole body response. What's, what's coming up for me is Stockholm Syndrome. Would that be a, mm -hmm. a fawn response type of thing? Maybe you've not thought about this before, but just... Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not an expert on this topic, obviously. I'm speculating here. But yeah, it sounds very much like that would be the fawn response where you are getting in cahoots with your perpetrator or you don't realize you are the victim, right? Yeah. Mm. You refuse to take that victim role. And, you know, this is all because whatever conditioning we have and the natural response of our nervous system where we feel like this is my only way this is my go-to strategy I must do it this way this is how I survive and it's always logical it always makes sense like the nervous system is never wrong even when it's like fundamentally you know weird quirky it messes up like it's always doing that for a reason and yeah it's no different with the fawn response it can feel at times that we're crazy and we're doing something that's crazy <laughs> it's like my my foot is hurt i'm the focus here my foot is the most important piece in this ambulance and yet i'm putting all my focus on these other people but there's it completely makes sense inside of your nervous system mm -hmm. So I'm interested in hearing more about the two parts of the vagus nerve and yeah, how you for yourself or with people that you work with, how you go about treating those and getting those things back into balance. The, the social engagement is what 
pricked up my ears because of the the relationship counseling relationship connection piece but obviously you need both pieces to be working congruently as as a team in tandem so can you tell us a bit about yeah some of your tips and tricks as you said earlier practically Mm -hmm. speaking how you go about that yeah so if someone comes to me and they clearly have some nervous system strangeness where you know they're struggling to regulate maybe they feel on edge a lot of the time maybe they feel energy is missing and they get triggered in social situations or in their especially in their intimate relationships and they are wanting more tools this is really normal really common first i would look at are you getting enough rest are you getting enough sleep are you getting the things that are naturally in our everyday supporting our nervous system function. For a lot of us, we live in a hyper alert state. And so the first step is really like, can you come down from that activation? And when you come down from that activation, you can, you start to calm things down. What that really is doing is calming down that sympathetic response, the activation, the fight or flight. And that's really important to first like get down from the, from the fight or flight. And that tends to naturally bring in a greater portion of the social engagement system, but it can also bring in more freeze. And so the second piece is, okay, you understand how important rest is. You're putting in place new habits around that. And maybe a lot of that, Stuff is the stuff that we hear about a lot, right? Meditation, (laughs) mindfulness, that is all about calming down. It's about down-regulating. But down-regulating doesn't necessarily automatically make us more open to connection because if we are overwhelmed, we will go into the freeze response. So that might still be in the mix and really dominating are kind of, we seem calm, we're on the couch, we're totally calm, but our face is kind of deadpan, (laughs) our breathing is constricted, and we're not open and available for connection, and we feel apathetic, procrastinating, all that stuff. That's a sign we're really in that freeze response. And then the work is to hit that vagus nerve. You can think of it as like physiotherapy for your vagus nerve. There are lots of things that you can do to directly activate that, yeah, that nerve. One of those things are breathing practices. Breathing, when we breathe, we, when we breathe, when we breathe in, we are activating our sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, but you know, we use this all the time. It's not, you know, fight or flight is only when we're afraid. So we have activation and then we perspirate and we breathe out. And that is, you know, relaxation. And that's using more of the vagus nerve. And so breathing exercises are great for working with the vagus nerve. There are also certain technologies that you can use depending on how wonky someone's vagus nerve is working to really just like switch on the signaling. Is cold showers and cold baths and that type of thing one that would fit into this category? Yeah, so cold showers is really a great way to work with your what I call your dynamic range. So cold showers hikes up your sympathetic nervous system and then your body automatically brings it down. So then it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest social engagement system but if you're really hyped up you're really sensitive or you tend to hang out in a freeze response you probably have a very low tolerance for activation and so having a cold shower might make you just really on edge (laughs) like you're not coming down from that cold shower (laughs) so this is very individual and what i say to people around cold showers and various kind of activation, which is very useful and very important for 
regulating the nervous system. We want to go up and we want to go down and we want to go up and we want to go down is to go really low and really slow. And actually there's really not, as far as I know, there's not really a way to just work on one part of your vagus nerve. It's kind of like if you're properly activating your vagus nerve, it will favor, it will favor the social response system. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my experience and that's what I see happen when people use these kind of tricks and tools. It really depends on someone's nervous system. Sometimes people need are at a place where they need more activation and some support around how to do that safely. And sometimes they need more relaxation. Yeah, it, it really just depends what the nervous system is doing, what their pattern is. And if someone's listening along now wondering if they do need more activation or the reverse what's like are there some telltale signs that you pick up on that gives you that information that other people could monitor for Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. yeah so so we can think of it in kind of three categories the first one is kind of the classic chronically stressed they are in activation they might have a lot of outbursts. They, you know, they're just like rushing around. They you know, have a busy life. Maybe they go to work and, you know, they're just like zoom, 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 <laughs> doing all the stuff. Everything is about action. And then they come home and then they can't rest because they just feel still activated, still on edge. And those people need to learn how to rest, how to calm down. They need more down regulation, down into the social engagement system and into rest. The second category are people that are in a freeze response. It can be characterized by depression and apathy and procrastination and feeling really stuck in life, feeling like I can't change, nothing is changing, I just can't, this is too hard. The first one is kind of like, I can do this. I must do this. I have to do this. (laughs) The second one is like, I can't. And in that I can't, some gentle activation, you know, within that person's, what we call a window of tolerance, what they can handle in the nervous system without without getting more dysregulated (laughs) uh, can be really supportive for coming out of that freeze response. And this is why you often see advice around depression, like do exercise. (laughs) And that can work for a lot of people. That's a great way to activate, like up-regulate the nervous system. And then the third way, which is really the people that I'll be working most with are people that have both going on. People that are wired and tired. So they might have health issues, like they might have weird autoimmune things pop up. They might have dysautonomia. So they might have a poor regulation in their blood pressure. They might have chronic fatigue type patterns. And wired and tired is a really tricky place to be because you you have to work on that dynamic range. You have to be able to upregulate better, but also rest better. So it takes, this takes work. And this is this has been the case for me where it was just like, I could never rest <laughs> fully, like be totally calm. And I also had very low energy. Yeah, that's what I had. I'd be passive lying in bed, quote unquote, resting. And yet mm-hmm. my anxiety would be through the roof. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I would be in bed resting because I had fatigue and didn't have energy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I did lots of things, but just to, to throw it in here, I thought of it before. One of the big things that I found to be healing, and maybe you can speak to this too, was being in nature and be, being connected to nature, like physically touching nature. And the reason I thought about that is because we were talking about our own kids and how their nervous systems are coping with the change to to America and, well, in Australia, but now here in America, taking them out always has a grounding effect for them. And I suppose that insight came through my own experiences and I was 
well into my adult years before I realized that. Yeah, so that is really, so this state of this wired and tired, this mixed dysregulation state, this is where conventional medical models, psychologists, you know, all of the, the, the normal stuff, systems of support that we have, they don't really understand that. This is not part of their map. So you're off the map. They're like, why are you being so weird? <laughs> you should go for a run. <laughs> you should rest more. It's like, I'm resting. <laughs> if I run, I feel awful. It's tricky. Yeah. This is what's traditionally been known as either adrenal fatigue or more recently HPA axis dysregulation. Is, is this what you're discussing? Or am uh, I a little off yeah. track? No, yeah, those things are, yeah, can be diagnoses that kind of hang out in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say HPA axis dysregulation, what I'm really referring to is what you were talking about earlier is disruptions with the hormonal hormonal system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all, all of our systems are connected to each other and we are also completely connected to each other as humans and to nature, which is why nature is a wonderful place to co-regulate, really. So if we're then bringing that into the context of, say, a relationship, so with an intimate relationship or a family system, um, everyone has their own nervous system stuff going on. What have you found positive ways to help people through that? I suppose I'm, I'm envisioning a situation where there's maybe conflict and everyone's on edge. Because of the social connection aspect, there can be a powerful moment for co-regulation where you can you could do something together that helps you co-regulate. But then at the same time, I think sometimes we project onto the other person that they're causing the problem when really it's, it's from the activations coming from our own nervous system. And then we're really, it's our responsibility to deal with our own stuff before we're bringing it to the relationship so I think there's sort Mm -hmm. of those two sides of that how do you you know how do you see that and how do you (laughs) big question but yeah how how do those sort of dynamics work when you're with somebody else and maybe activated yeah it's it's complex because it's a system right it's it's your stuff and it's their stuff and then there's the collective stuff you also have a dynamic that arise in that specific relationship right and the way I think of it is that co-regulation is really just about we naturally attract to each other's nervous systems. And whoever has the most power, whoever has the most impact in that system is where you, you know, where you get drawn in. And we can also learn to have self-awareness, to have more impact over our own nervous system. So if we choose, we might choose not to get drawn in. And so this just happens, right? It happens. We are doing it right now. <laughs> you are doing it with your kids all the time. Co-regulation happens when we are with other people or animals or nature. And I tend to think that co-regulation starts with us our own ability to regulate our own nervous system. And like you said earlier, Caitlin, if you are trying to demonstrate calm behavior by masking your own nervous system, that doesn't work. (laughs) It it might work on a surface level, but we can tell. And when you're masking your own nervous system activation, you are in more stress. More cortisol is running through your body because you are now suppressing your anger. So you might feel calm, but you're getting wrecked on the inside. And and it's normal. We all you know we all do this to one extent or another, right? We you know trying to calm ourselves, and that's very useful. And when we do it excessively, that's not called regulation. <laughs> so coming into true presence with ourselves in the moment can now mean that we are a powerful attractor to other people's presence. And yeah, that can 
support the other person to regulate. Yeah, my husband was pointing out here yesterday that someone who's a really great co-regulator is Donald Trump. It's, this is a like co-regulation. If we wanted to use it intentionally as a tool to impact other people, you know, we can do that through our charisma, through our leadership, through the way that we hold our body, project our voice, use our words, you know, the state that we're in, fire and fury, that brings people into a similar state. And that's, that's power that we have in that social relationship. And it's manipulation. And I think there's always a place for manipulation. It's just like, it's not a good or bad thing. But if we are not aware <laughs> and making conscious choices about how we are, how we are using our nervous system to impact another person, yeah, we can fall into a lot of unconscious patterns of people pleasing, <laughs> of fawning, of codependency of trying to fix another person's emotions, make another person's emotions a problem by trying to fix them through our own nervous system regulation. And uh, people can make up their own minds <laughs> about whether they want to do that behavior or not. That's really fascinating. And it brings to mind probably the most pertinent example from my own life was the period of time when I was working with in Australia with kids that had been removed from their families that were almost unequivocally highly traumatized, especially the kids I would often get put to work with. And I often felt like I had a secret weapon and it was because it was mirrored to me. I was, I was, I was told that I had a calming impact on people, which I think I actually learned through mirroring from my father because my father was a social worker and so I, I had the capacity, I could have stress going on in my life and things happening outside of work. And I don't even know exactly how, but I was able to not bring that to work. I'm sitting here wondering if I was faking it or not. And, <laughs> and I certainly wasn't, I certainly wasn't mostly faking it. You know, it was, it was mostly authentic, if not entirely. But I just felt like I was always on the front foot in this regard. And I saw other workers, you know, there was always workers that would come through that weren't good at the job and they would get triggered very, very easily, which would then trigger the, the client, which would then trigger them further and, and situations would escalate. And there were those of us, I wasn't the only one, there were those of us that had the capacity to stay calm and there was a level of detachment. So as you said, you know, choosing to not buy into their honestly it was often chaotic energy mm -hmm. that meant we didn't actually have to deal with certain things because those it never actually escalated or the issues never arose to that level so rather than them pulling us up with us into activation we could pull pull them down to our karma karma level especially when there were two of us that were working in tandem on the same page in lockstep and I think that's what I fundamentally really enjoyed about that job it was like giving a gift to these kids of some calmness in their home environment which most of them hadn't experienced where they were growing up and and frankly wouldn't always experience whilst in care especially if they were sharing a house with other young people who were also traumatized and emotionally dysregulated and, and so on and so forth. That wasn't really yeah. a question, but yeah, just my, my, <laughs> just what came up, came up for me when you were talking. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful what we can do for each other when we are aware of our nervous systems and when we choose, choose to regulate. And even if, even if those patterns arose from a, you know, a childhood wound, I don't know if you have that, but someone might develop that because they had to be the calm one because everyone else were an age, for example. And even if a, even if a pattern like that arise from a dysfunctional way, it can really become a superpower and it become a super duper power when 
we become more conscious and aware of what we are doing and not just using it automatically. That can be, you know, great in and of itself, but, you know, we might also be masking our own stuff or just not making conscious choices. And so we can, you know, we all have these different kind of features of our personality and nervous system that can be difficult quirks that can develop into these incredibly useful strengths for other people. You've said a few times talking about dynamic range. And from what I'm hearing you say, and I think my own understanding, really that's the goal of bringing more health to our nervous system is to increase the range. So like you said, maybe you have a go-to response, which is positive and helpful in some situations, but if you use it all the time, it's not always, you know, and so... Mm -hmm. And so partly it's, it's learning to be able to be outside of the, the automatic use mm -hmm. of that and to mm -hmm. be able to know what situations and how to regulate. Yeah, because I know for me, I'm definitely that, that first example of being active all the time. And it's very difficult for me to rest and in some ways doesn't feel safe to rest. And I mm -hmm. think there's some fear there that it's like, well, if I stop... I'll never be able to start again. So it's not mm -hmm. having that range, not trusting that if I can, if I go down, I'll be able to mm -hmm. get back up again. And the, mm -hmm. the up part is the more comfortable and feels more safe. So that, that range, you've maybe spoken to this a little bit, but yeah, what are, what are more ways to increase that, that range? And what have you found? I think there's usually there's natural pressure that builds around our limitations for most people, thankfully. And for some people, no. Some people will go through their life and have a very limited range and not have the pressure to change it. But for most people, we experience a limitation. And oftentimes that builds and builds. And that that is the area. That is where you need more dynamic range. And so for you, if that is rest, that will keep coming up. That will keep coming up and keep coming up until you are in a place where you are resourced enough, where you believe that it is now safe for me to really work on and resolve this limitation, to increase my dynamic range in this particular way. And the ways to do that probably arise quite naturally. Hmm. Perhaps you know that... Maybe you need to sleep in more. Maybe you need more hours of sleep or maybe you need more time on your own or whatever the, whatever the patterns are. And yeah, I think it is, it is often quite intuitive. And then working with a therapist, a counselor, a coach, someone else that can spot us and encourage us and say, yes, you can, you can develop that. Yes, you can expand your range in your nervous system in this way. Something that was coming up for me earlier when we talk about core regulation is not just core regulation in terms of, you know, that person is calm or that person is activated. I'm going to model calm to my children and maybe that will support them so that they're not freaking out as much. That's kind of parenting what I would. But also that we can allow ourselves to go, oh, that person is really having fun by being like active or they're really like excited. Oh, I can be excited with them. Mm. Or that person's really having fun and being playful. I can open up into fun and play with them. And so it's like really attuning to, we can use other people for practice mm. and mirroring. And it's really great. I tend to do this. I tend to include friends into my life <laughs> that have something I don't have. And being aware of that and going, yes, I really love how they are easing into meeting a new person, how excited they are when they meet a new person. I can, you know, I can mirror that behavior. And now you are kind of practicing this inside your own nervous system and making it your own. So in your intimate couples, we can really do this for each other. You know, if we can really appreciate the gifts that the other person has, because usually we have different nervous systems. 
because <laughs> we're different. <laughs> you know, we choose a partner that's different from us. Mm-hmm. And that usually translates to a different different nervous system patterns. And if we open up to the gifts that they have, we can kind of piggyback on their nervous system. Well, I think we're probably coming to the end. It feels like we could keep talking and talking, but, you know, there has to be end at some point. This is such a fascinating topic. And I actually learned quite a bit from this discussion. And I wouldn't say I, I came in with a, a low level of knowledge, but it's it's clear just how deep you've gone into the research, but also how deeply you've personally thought about this stuff, Lena. Is is there anything else that you were wanting to share or anything that would be useful to finish up with as, as a takeaway for people? I think something that I do want to share, which I would share with people over and over and over, is that whatever weird and uncomfortable things your nervous system is doing, it is completely natural, completely logical. It totally makes sense inside of your system. And your nervous system and your brain has an incredible capacity for change. And you don't know the ways in which it can change over time. Yeah, that's lovely. Thanks for joining us on Convergently Speaking. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. I'm glad we you know, managed to pull this together and all the best with your plans going forward. I don't know if you wanted to plug a little bit about, I believe you're creating or have created a course around this stuff. Did you want to just quickly explain what that's all about? Yeah, I have been creating a course and the the launch date has been set back a little because I am pregnant and that is a whole roller coaster, particularly that first part. So I supported my nervous system and pushed it back a little. But the course is in the works and the course is all around how you can work with your nervous system, develop your own program of recovery with lots of fun, easy, effective tools in a way that really works for you. It's all about finding your way of doing things. And that's also what I support people to do in my coaching. So if anyone are wanting any support with the nervous system, just want to have a chat, you know, they can find my website, which you can link to in the show notes. And yeah, just reach out. Fantastic. So thanks again, Lena, for joining us and sharing your amazing knowledge around this topic. We both really enjoyed it and learned a lot. You can find Lena at her website, which is in the show notes and also on Instagram. And you can find Dan at daniellanier.com. We'll talk to you again soon. And as always, stay curious.